Part five, chapter twenty two of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter twenty two. That same evening, Pierre went to call upon the Rostovs to fulfill his commission. Natasha was in bed. The Count had gone to the club, and Pierre, having entrusted the letters into Sonya's hands, went to Maria Dmitrievna, who was greatly interested to know how Prince Andrei had received the news. Ten minutes later, Sonya appeared. "'Natasha is determined to see Count Pyotr Kirillovich,' said she. "'But how can he go to her room? Everything is in disorder there,' said Maria Dmitrievna. "'But she is dressed, and has come down into the drawing-room,' said Sonya. Maria Dmitrievna merely shrugged her shoulders. "'If only the Countess would come. This is a perfect torture to me. Now be careful, and don't tell her everything,' she added, warningly. It would break my heart if anything were said to hurt her. She is so to be pitied, so to be pitied. Natasha, grown decidedly thin, with pale, smileless face, though not at all confused, as Pierre supposed she would be, stood in the middle of the drawing-room. When Pierre made his appearance in the door, she hesitated, evidently undecided whether to go to him or wait for him. Pierre hastened forward. He supposed that she would, as usual, give him her hand. But she stood motionless, sighing deeply, and with her arms hanging lifelessly, in exactly the same pose that she always took when she went in the middle of the music-room to sing, only with an entirely different expression. "'Pyotr Kirillovich,' she began, speaking very swiftly, "'Prince Bolkonsky was your friend, and is still your friend,' she added by afterthought, for it seemed to her that everything was past, and all things had become new. He told me once to turn to you if— Pierre quietly blew his nose as he looked at her. Till that moment he had, in his heart, blamed her and tried to despise her, but now she seemed to him so eminently deserving of pity that there was no room in his heart for reproach. "'He is here now. Please ask him to for—forgive,' she paused— and breathed still faster, but she did not weep. "'Yes, I will tell him,' said Pierre. He knew not what to say. Natasha was evidently terrified by what Pierre might have thought she meant. "'Yes, I know that all is over between us,' she said, hurriedly. "'No, it can never be. All that tortures me is the wrong that I have done him. Only ask him to forgive. Forgive. Forgive me for all.' Her whole frame trembled, and she sat down in a chair. Never before had Pierre experienced such a feeling of compassion as now came over him. "'I will tell him. I will certainly tell him all,' said Pierre. "'But I should like to know one thing.' "'What?' asked Natasha. "'I should like to ask if you loved—' Pierre did not know what term to use in speaking of Anatole. "'Did you love that vile man?' "'Don't call him vile,' exclaimed Natasha. "'But I—I I don't know. I don't know at all.' Then the tears came again. And a still more intense feeling of pity, affectionate compassion, and love came over Pierre. He was conscious of the tears welling out from under his spectacles and dropping, and he hoped that they would not be seen. "'Let us say no more about it, my dear,' said Pierre. Strange indeed suddenly seemed to Natasha the sound of his voice, so sweet, so tender, so sincere. Let us say no more about it, my dear. I will tell him all. 
but one thing I want to ask you. Consider me your friend, and if you need any help or advice, or simply if you need someone in whom you can confide, not now, but by and by, when everything is clear to your own mind, remember me. He took her hand and kissed it. I should be happy if I were in the position to... Pierre grew confused. Do not speak to me so. I do not deserve it, cried Natasha, and she started to leave the room. But Pierre detained her by the hand. He knew that there was something more he must tell her, but when he had spoken it, he was amazed at his own words. Wait, wait. All life is before you, said he. Before me? Before me is only ruin, she exclaimed, in the depths of shame and self-reproach. Ruin, he repeated. If I were not myself, but the handsomest, wisest, and best man in the world, and were free, I would this very instant, on my knees, sue for your hand and your love. Natasha, for the first time in many days, wept tears of gratitude and emotion, and, giving Pierre one look, she fled from the room. Pierre followed her, almost running, and restraining the tears of tenderness and happiness that choked him. Throwing his shuba over his shoulders, but without putting his arms through the sleeves, he went out and got into his sledge. "'Where now?' asked the driver. "'Where?' repeated Pierre to himself. "'Where can I go now? To the club, or to make some calls? All men at this moment seemed to him so contemptible, so mean, in comparison with that feeling of emotion and love which had overmastered him, in comparison with that softened glance of gratitude which she had given him just now through her tears. "'Home,' said Pierre, throwing back his bearskin shuba and exposing his broad, joyfully throbbing chest, though the mercury marked ten degrees of frost. It was cold and clear, above the dirty, half-lighted streets, above the black roofs of the houses, stretched the dark, starry heavens. Only as Pierre gazed at the heavens above, he ceased to feel the humiliating pettiness of everything earthly in comparison with the height to which his soul aspired. As he drove out on the Arbatskaya Square, the mighty expanse of the dark, starry night spread out before Pierre's eyes. Almost in the zenith of this sky, above the Prechentensky Boulevard, convoyed and surrounded on every side by stars, but distinguished from all the rest by its nearness to the earth, and by its white light, and by its long curling tail, stood the tremendous, brilliant comet of 1812, the same which men thought presaged all manner of woes and the end of the world. But in Pierre, this brilliant luminary, with its long train of light, awoke no terror. On the contrary, rapturously, his eyes wet with tears, he contemplated this glorious star which seemed to him to have come flying with inconceivable swiftness through measureless space, straight toward the earth, there to strike like an enormous arrow, and remain in that one fate designated spot upon the dark sky, and, pausing, raise aloft with monstrous face its curling tail, flashing and playing with white light, amid the countless other stars doomed to perish. It seemed to Pierre that this star was the complete reply to all that was in his soul flowing into new life, and filled with tenderness and love. End of chapter 22 and end of part five. Also, this is the end of volume two of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole.